All right, go ahead and open up to John 16. John 16, today uh, we are going to be looking at Spirit-Empowered Mission. Um, If you remember last week, we actually touched on the beginning first few verses of John 16, but we're going to go back through those as well. So John 16, um, one of the most heartbreaking things for me is to see people who go through life assuming they are Christians because of a whole variety of reasons. They grew up in the South. They grew up in a family who attended church. Maybe they attended church. They're okay with praying at sporting events. Maybe they were involved in a children's program or a a youth program. And maybe they even went down an aisle at some point and said they wanted to follow Jesus. Maybe they were even baptized. Maybe they still attend church or even serve in capacities, yet all the while completely miss the truth of the gospel, true surrender to Christ. And the heartbreaking thing about that is is that those individuals will stand before God and here depart. I'm not sure we realize that or not. I mean, we, we say it, but have we truly, like in the depths of our soul, thought about that truth? That one day, every single one of us will stand before the God of all creation and give an account on our life. And based on our surrender to Christ, the work that He has done for us on the cross we'll hear one of two things. Like, there's only two options. Like, either you're going to hear, well done. And, and and notice the language that Jesus uses. He doesn't say, well done, like one who proclaimed that they were my follower and lived like however they wanted to. He says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Or the alternative, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness or you worker of evil, I never knew you. That is the truth that we see in Scripture. That every single one of us will stand before a holy God. And unfortunately, on that day, there's going to be a lot of people who assume that they were followers of Christ that are going to hear depart. And and in my imagination, I could only assume that, that those are going to start declaring like, but I did this and I, I did that. I mean, that's what Jesus says, right? They're, you're going to say, but didn't we do all of these things in your name? The reality for every one of us here today is this. One, that we will stand before a holy God. And two, that every true believer, and, and you got to hear that part, right? I'm not saying every believer. Every true believer, there are a lot of people who falsely confess Christ. Every true believer, that is, we have fully confessed that Jesus is Lord. We have believed in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. And we know that God is who he says he is. And so we commit our life completely to his service, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Every true believer has been set apart and saved by God. To do the work of God in building the kingdom of God. He doesn't save us for ourselves. He saves us for Him. He doesn't need us to accomplish the mission. But by His grace, He chooses to use us. We made reference to Patrick earlier. Patrick could have, I mean, God could have brought revival to Ireland without Patrick. But he chose to use him. God has set us apart 
with unique gifts, unique talents and abilities to do a particular work in this life. And here's what we need to understand. We need to understand what our mission is. And we need to also understand that we can't accomplish it alone. Now, obviously, we need one another, right? We talk about that. I, I tell you, I got the sticker on my window, or on my mirror, in my bathroom. It's been there for like four years now. That we need one another to carry out the mission of God. I'm not even talking about that aspect of it right now. We, we, we talk about that all the time, that we need our community to do the work God has called us to do. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can't accomplish it alone. So then... God promises to give a helper. He promises to give the Holy Spirit to come live within his people. Now, in the book of Proverbs, we know this, that it says without vision, people perish, right? And so we need to have an understanding of what vision actually is. We need to have an understanding of what we've been saved for, who we've been saved for to serve, and what we have been set apart to do, right? We need to know that. So we need to understand what our mission is. From day one, New City Church's mission has been, this would be cruel, but so I'm not going to do it. Like, if I just like quizzed everybody like on what New City's mission statement is, this is obviously not on you, this is on me, right? That you probably are like, I'm not really sure. Has been to embrace, redeem, and transform people, cities, and cultures with the gospel of Jesus. In short, here's what that means. Why I didn't just write it shorter to begin with? Who knows? It sounded nice. To make disciples who make disciples. That's what it means. To proclaim the glories of the gospel of Jesus so that people come to faith in him and then we train them on what it looks like to follow Christ so that then they can go out and reproduce that same thing over and over and over and over and over again. So we have to understand what the mission of God is for our lives, but then we also need to understand that we can't do it. Unless God works in and through us, and when we surrender to him, he promises to give the Holy Spirit to allow us to do that very thing. And so the main idea of where we're going to be today in the beginning of John 16 is this. That Christians are set apart for the spirit-empowered mission of making disciples who make disciples. And I want to pray for us before we begin to dive into verses 1 through 15 this morning. That God would make us aware of, of what he is calling us to do as a church, but also as individuals. He has gifted us differently. He has set us apart to do different things. And may we be understanding of that and may we be willing to submit and to surrender to his leading. So we pray with me. Our Father, again, we come to you understanding that the only reason we're here is by your grace. We don't just happen upon you. You created all things by the word of your power. The universe, galaxies. Planets within galaxies. And then... In the expanse of that great universe, you create earth and you fill it with people. People who stray, betray you, who hate you. You create us. And in the midst of that, that open, wretched rebellion against you and your holiness. You send your son to provide a way of redemption for your people. The innocent for the guilty. And you redeem us. Through Jesus, you reconcile us to yourself. But you don't just stop there. 
you don't got you don't just say okay you're clean now go and do your thing you you say no I, I'm saving you now I want you to come into my house and be in my family be my son my daughter and God then you say not only am I bringing you into my home but I'm giving you a great task and you can't do it alone so I'm going to give you all the tools you need now go tell others so that they can come and live in our family what great grace Father, today as we work through John 16, may we understand personally the mission you have called us to. And may we be honest and open in analyzing our lives to see, am I being faithful to what you have set me apart for? Am I trusting your greatness? Am I trusting your sovereignty enough to do the work that you have called me to do? Knowing that you have prepared it beforehand. Am I loving people enough to declare the good news? So God, give us a vision for our lives today. Or when we sing a song that says, Jesus is my life, that that resounds in the very fabric of our being. That we know who you are, and we know who we are in you, and we know the work that you have called us and set us apart to do. That we would live by your grace and for your glory. So today, God, I know that there are probably some of us who are distracted with life. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we don't feel well. Maybe we can't quite focus because we might not have had the easiest morning. Maybe we had a little bit of a altercation with our spouse or our children. Maybe we're just not in the best mood. God, would you allow us to just set all of those things to the side right now? So that we can just simply fix our eyes and fix our gaze upon Jesus. And that we would hear your word. And that our lives would be forever changed. For some of us here today, God, maybe we need to hear this so that we can truly confess and repent of our sin and come to know you. And maybe for others of us, maybe we need to hear this to just be reinvigorated to follow you with everything we have. That we've just gotten caught up in the motions of doing everyday life and living for our own glory. That we have simply forgotten what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But whatever the case may be, God, may today be the day that your word awakens us to the glories of who you are. And Father, I want to ask that you would speak in and through me right now. The last thing I want is for me to say my words. Give my thoughts. May you speak by your Holy Spirit through my lips. 
the words that we all need to hear. So that we would be changed. Word by word. Moment by moment. Day by day. Into the image of Jesus Christ. We ask all of this to bring you glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Spirit-empowered mission. Before we can begin to understand what spirit-empowered mission is and what it looks like, we also need to know this, that there are some challenges in the word here that come against the mission. And so going back to a few of the verses we looked at last week, starting in verse 1 in chapter 16, we'll see some of the challenges of mission. Now, just in case you have maybe missed a week or two or or don't know exactly where we are, um, we have been working through the Gospel of John, not consecutively as in for, for three years now. I mean, we've taken breaks and done some other things, but we have simply started in John 1-1, and we've just worked our way up to this point. And a few weeks ago, we began what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse, that he has been betrayed by Judas. It is time for him to go to the cross. And in this last moment, or a few moments with his disciples, he's preparing them for his departure. He's preparing them for leaving, his leaving. He starts by giving them some great comfort and encouragement. And then he begins to give them these instructions on what it looks like to be his true follower, his true disciple. And that's where we land. He's continuing that very thought. And in verse 1 of chapter 16, we find this. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do those things, these things, because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Challenge number one. We saw this last week, and he reiterates it again. Persecution will come. I love the way he starts this. It's quite the challenge to us. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Remember last week, Jesus starts his interaction with the disciples by saying, by the way, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you. I'm about to be murdered. Follow me. Give up everything you have and continue to follow me. Carry the cross and follow me. And by the way, guys, I've said this to you to keep you from falling away. Life's about to get brutally difficult for you. I'm not going to be here with you beside you like we are right now. So you need to understand that people are going to hate you. They're going to want to string you up. They're going to want to kill you just as they are about to kill me. But be encouraged And do not fall away. It says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. The interesting thing is here is he's talking to the disciples. and, And you've heard me say this multiple times. But every one of the disciples were martyred for the faith. And one of the things we mentioned last week is that 
understanding the Holy Spirit when he comes and, and the, the fact that he will be in us is also showing that, that God knows the future, right? That, that he is omniscient. He knows all things. And here he's saying, and listen, and, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. What are these things? They're going to put you out of the synagogues. They're going to kick you out of the church for preaching the gospel. And they're also going to put you to death. And they're going to say they're doing it in my name. I've said these things to you, verse 4, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So, again, coming off of last week, we should have this understanding by now that following Christ is not an easy task. It's not meant to be an easy task. And if we're going about our life as Christians, again, look up, you need to, Christians, in some ho-hum attitude, with zero persecution, maybe we're not following Christ. But, if we believe the gospel, and we believe the words of Jesus, and we're giving him everything we have, and we're being hated, and we're being persecuted, maybe even to death, we know this, we don't stop. We persevere. Because the eternal reward for following Christ is much greater than the cost we will face on this earth. Are people going to hate us? Probably. Are people going to try to destroy us? Hopefully. But we don't stop. So the first challenge to the mission that we see in these few verses, there are a lot of challenges to mission, but we're only going to point out two that we see in these verses is that persecution will come, that Christians will be hated, that, that people will do everything within their power, and some, even in the name of God, to try to stop what God is doing through us. Number two, look at verse, the second half of verse four. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. One great danger that we face is that we don't embrace the mission of God because we're too inwardly focused. And you're probably like, wait a minute, where, where, does, where is that? Right? Verse 6, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. In other words, we care more about serving, how serving Jesus is going to affect us than the reality that the people we're trying to serve, that the people we're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel to, are dying without Jesus. We're more worried about the cost now than the eternal reward later. I did not say these things, verse 4, to you from the beginning because I was with you. He's saying, guys, you haven't needed to hear this up to this point because I have been with you every step of the way. You were my disciple in the sense of you were following me. But now you are going to be my disciple, but I'm not going to be here. but I'm going to send someone else. And he's going to be here helping. And so what Jesus is doing, and he's revealing that from the very moment he begins to tell his disciples of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension, they're sorrowful. Why? Not because Jesus is about to die, but because they're about to be left alone. Like, okay, Jesus, you're doing this, and now you're saying we're going to be hated, but you're checked out. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my life? 
how is that going to affect me? They're more worried about the effect that Jesus' death is going to have on them from a negative aspect than they are the fact that God himself is about to destroy his son. And maybe this is a moment where we need to step back and kind of do some self-examination. Maybe we need to look at our lives and ask questions like this. What is God calling me to do right now? Where is God calling me to go? What is God wanting me to say that I am unwilling to do or to say or to go and to submit to him because of selfish reasons? Like, I'm afraid of what they're going to say if I, if I tell them the truth. Or, or I'm afraid to go because I might miss something or I might die. Or I might miss out on certain pleasures that I enjoy. Or, or I might not want to go to that place because they don't have X. Or I might not want to do the thing that God's called me to do because that means I might lose my job or I might not get to enjoy certain things. But as the people of God, we need to understand this, that the mission of God is much bigger than us. And it's impossible. Not like in Tom Cruise Impossible that he actually, isn't that a like Mission Impossible, yet he achieves it every time? That's not this. Like you, you strike out and you try to do the work of God on your own power. See how far you make it. How many of us in our everyday Christian life would have completely bowed out by now if it wasn't the Holy Spirit helping us. I would have. A lot. In eight and a half years, I probably couldn't even document all the times I probably would have left if God wasn't with me. And that's just that he, that he in this world, So Jesus makes a promise to his disciples that you're going to be hated. They're going to want to string you up. I'm not going to be here physically in your presence, but that doesn't mean you're alone. And so he promises the coming of the Spirit. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. So, so like anytime you read scripture, we should really be paying attention because it's all the word of God, right? Not just the red letters, but it's the whole word, right? All of it's his. All of it's just as important. But there's something about when Jesus is talking, he says, all right, now pause. I am telling you the truth. That means pay attention. Do not miss this. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We are called to a great mission. The greatest mission. And it's completely impossible for us to achieve on our own and with our own power. And the good news is, He's not asking us to do it on our own and in our own power. He's promising that he will send the helper. Guys, we desperately need the Holy Spirit's help to live on mission for Christ. We desperately need it. The only way it's possible is if he comes. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's like, nevertheless, so, so ignore all the fact, right? I just told you they're, they're going to hate you. They're going to kill you. And they're all going to do it in my name. Nevertheless, I'm going to send a helper. But I have to go in order to do that. 
And maybe we say, like, some of us are, yeah, we get that. Like, amen, um, second that. But then maybe some of us are like, really? I'm pretty sharp. I'm pretty zealous. Do I really need help to do it? I mean, we see the potential of what Holy Spirit-empowered mission looks like in the book of Acts. Right? Pentecost. Now, what do we know about Peter up to this point right now? He says a lot of stuff and does a lot of stuff that's just ignorant, right? He's obviously the vocal point person in the group. He's like the leader, and yet he's the one that messes up more than anybody else as documented. And it's not stopping at this point, but by the book of Acts, we see something changing. Something big has occurred. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And then Jesus was not in the tomb anymore. And Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And the church is roughly at a hundred and something people at that point, right? So he's, he's just preaching. And he's proclaiming the gospel. That Jesus has come, that Jesus has died, that Jesus has been resurrected, that Jesus is calling us to do his work. And what happens by the end of it? 3,000 people get saved. Right? 3,000 people get saved. The church went from like 100 and something people to 3,100 people. And it didn't stop. That's the most amazing thing about the book of Acts is you just see this like expansion. It's just, you know, thousands are being saved here and hundreds and they're just, it's spreading like wildfire. Was that because Peter was a good speaker and he had it all together? Obviously not. Because within a few hours of Jesus telling them here in John 16 that he's going to send the helper, what does Peter do? He denies any affiliation with Jesus three times and even curses a little girl in the midst of the process. God can work through anyone. And he promises that if we surrender everything to him, he will give this same spirit to live within us. And so again, we pose the question, what does God want to do in and through you right now? If we surrender to Christ, He can do outrageous stuff. I mean, maybe you're thinking like, yeah, but I'm not Patrick. I'm not in Ireland. I can't bring revival to an entire country. No, you can't. But God can through you. Maybe you're saying, I I see so-and-so doing all this awesome work. I can't do that. I don't have the personality for that. No, you don't. But God working in and through you can do that. Maybe God's calling you to preach. But you hate to be in front of people. Guess what? God can and he will. When I was in school, you know what the two things I hated to do the most were? I guess three. Read. Write. And speak in front of people. Now what do I do for a living? I read, I write, and I speak. And I love it. God can do immeasurably more than anything we could ever think or ask. And so I guess the question that I'm trying to get us to to ponder is, am I submitting to the work that God wants me to do? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Or am I just making up all kind of excuses to the God of the universe saying, no, I can't. God called Moses and Moses said, I can't do it. I don't talk very good. And God said, I don't care. You're going to do it anyway. 
And we see story after story after story of God doing amazing work through his people. It's God doing the work. And so Jesus talking to his disciples, he's teaching them that the only way that the Holy Spirit can come and to indwell in them and other believers is for him to leave. Because at the very moment he's saying, listen, right now I am with you, but after I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's not going to live with you. He's going to live within you. And there's a vast difference there. He's not just going to be like I am side by side, but he's going to be in you at all times. Helping you, guiding you, leading you. So we must realize that the Holy Spirit isn't given to simply aid us in achieving our best life now. Right? I mean, that's the message that we're hearing. Trust Jesus and it's all going to be good. This is what we see a lot of times. We see people say they believe the Bible. And they stand up to preach and the Bible goes up into a cubby. Which kind of makes a lot of sense on why they're saying if you follow Jesus it's going to get easy. Because they're not reading the word of God. They're not preaching the word of God. Or maybe they got a copy of somebody else's word that skipped out on John 15 that said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Maybe they forgot to translate that one from Greek to English. And so they don't understand that part. So they just go on to the next. He hasn't called us and saved us and given us the Holy Spirit to just help us achieve our dreams. Not at all. He has given us the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish the mission of God. His mission, not ours. His work. His way. And the reality for us is that it takes the supernatural spirit of God to accomplish the sovereign redemptive plan of God. God is saving people. You know how we know that? We're still here. If God was done, so would we be. But we're still here. Which means there's still work to be done. And the only way we can achieve that work in doing the work, that is the work that he has set us apart to do. Is if we surrender and submit to his leading. I, for one, try to do a lot of things in my own power. And you know what it leads to for me? Exhaustion, frustration, anger, disappointment. And I'm sure you probably could echo a lot of that too. It may have different effects on you. But that's just our natural tendency, right? To forget that God has promised to be in us, in the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit comes to empower the people of God to accomplish the mission of God. And yet so often, we... excuse our way out of doing what God wants us to do. I have a lot. I don't want to go right now. I'm tired. I don't want to do that. I'll miss this. Allison could tell you. She's not in here but right now. But you can ask her how many times that We've needed to go somewhere, do something. I'm just like, I just have a terrible attitude about it. And then I get the thing and like, probably should go. 
only to be filled with joy when I get there because I've surrendered to doing the work of God. And, and might I remind you that God doesn't always call us to do the things we want to do. Um, one of the most foundational passages for me in the planting of New City Church was Jeremiah 29. Not the misquoted 29.11, but the ones before that that says, Seek the peace of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. And in praying for their peace, you will find your peace. You're like, yeah, that sounds good. But you're only saying that because you miss one big key word. Exile. Exile is not promised land. Right? Exile is not, you know, God's calling me to Hawaii. It's maybe God's calling me to Baghdad. Or God's not calling me to the suburbs. Maybe he's calling me to the inner city. God's not calling me to, you know, you pick a place, Boone, North Carolina. God's calling me to inner city Chicago. And I'm not saying that God's calling every one of us to leave. That would be awesome. If we're leaving to do the work of God. Make sure you get that part. But he might be calling you to do something pretty simple that you're just not doing. Or maybe he's calling me to do something that I just, I'm not doing. Why is that? I think the answer is pretty complex, but it's also extremely simple. We just don't see God for who God is. We just don't understand. We've forgotten he is the holy creator of all things. Because we have it good. We got to go on a camping trip to a beautiful piece of property with some pretty awesome equipment, eat some really good food, and just enjoy ourselves. Just so over this past week, I can't give you all the details, but there was a family that we come in contact with that was in a car accident. And the reason it's devastating, none of them died, but it's still devastating because what we, under, what we found to understand was that was their home. They were living in their car, a husband and a wife and like around a 10 to 12-year-old little girl. They lived in their car. And their car just got destroyed, which means their home was lost. And we've been trying to find ways to help them, and it seemed like everything we needed to do, it just wasn't working, it just wasn't following. And then we get a call that insurance had finally come through, and they got a rental car, and they were so excited about that because they had at least a place to be out of the weather, but they were just wanting food. They didn't have any food. And, and my, my piper, I don't like to do this often because I think, I think preachers do this too much. We use our families as examples, but my piper last night, I mean, she's four. She, <clears throat> she wanted something, and it was like, no, piper, it's bedtime. And she was whining, and I was like, Piper, because she heard us on the phone trying to deal with all this. So I was like, you have a bed in a house with multiple blankets. And we just talked about these folks that don't. They don't have a house. It's going to be cold tonight. You know, we take it for granted how good we have it. And what that does is it leads us to forget that we need God desperately. And when God is calling us to be his children, we, we think that's such an awesome thing, which it is, don't get me wrong, but that it just becomes this great benefit to us. But we can't forget that the only reason he saves us is for himself. He saves us for him. 
We desperately need him within us. Oh, man. We're going to kick it into overdrive because we have six minutes till 12. We're halfway done. Two ways that the Spirit works that we see in this text. First off, the Spirit awakens, verse 8 and 9. And when He comes, the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe. Concerning in me, but concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. The Spirit awakens in a few ways. The first is that He brings conviction of sin. In our text last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit, one of His duties is that He bears witness That is that the Holy Spirit is proclaiming the truth of the gospel of God. That light exposes darkness. And one of the things I said we need to really think about and evaluate is this. That if the Holy Spirit's coming is to bear witness and he's living with inside of the people of God. Then the Holy Spirit bears witness to the glories of God through our mouths, through our lives. And if we sit and remain silent, then we are keeping the Holy Spirit from doing the work He is meant to do. Which means we are living in active rebellion against God. We are called as the people of God. Not just me as a preacher, but every single person that comes to faith in Christ is set apart for the mission of God. To tell people about their desperate need for sin and the good news that Jesus provides a way. To have that sin eradicated. The Holy Spirit also awakens us to the righteousness of Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit is awakening Christians to the sin of self-righteousness. By declaring to us the purity and the majesty of God in Jesus. So, circle around. Why are we not doing the work God's called us to do? We think far too much of ourselves and far too little of God. When the reality is this, that we are sin-stained sinners who have no right of our own, no righteousness of our own. Sorry, I might have messed that up because I was following my notes and my notes are shorthand. It's actually supposed to have no righteousness of our own. Make sure you make the male note of that, because there's a big difference. We have no righteousness of our own, but the sinless Son of God covers us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. That he who knew no sin became sin on um, our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God, God in him. Make a note of that. I don't have time to completely unpack that verse, but I want you to write down 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And I want you to work piece by piece through that. That's homework for the week, okay? You don't get that often, but you're getting it now. Homework. The third way the Spirit awakens us is to God's judgment. The truth is that our culture hates judgment, right? They want to listen more to what Tupac said than what Christ says. We want to to boast about not being judged and not being judgmental. And we misuse scripture to reject that idea. Usually it's to hide or to justify our own sin. Like you can't judge me, only God can do that. And yes, he will, by the way, just in case you forgot. But we have a call, a necessary duty as the people of God. To judge in righteous judgment in order to protect the souls of our people. Again, if I see you in sin and I don't do anything about it, am I displaying love for you? In case you hadn't heard the example, which you probably have, if my Sophie or my Piper are playing in the road and a vehicle is steaming down this road, which happens, so don't play in the road, um... And I just watched it happen. Am I displaying love for my kid? No, I'm going to do everything within my power to to get her out of the way, even if it costs me my life, right? The hard and, and difficult reality is that all people will be judged according 
to the righteousness of God. But what we just saw in a or I guess you didn't see it, you heard me say it in 2 Corinthians 5:21 is this that if we have trusted in Christ, then God sees us as righteous. He doesn't then judge us based on our sin. He judges us based on the covering of our sin in Christ. He literally sees his son. Romans, how he who did not spare his own son, how will he also with, not with him give us all, freely give us all things? In other words, if God loves his son, he's going to love us. If we're covered by the grace of Christ. But our understanding of God's judgment and, and the conviction that comes with that leads us to glorious repentance. That God is great and greatly to be praised. So what do we do? What is our mission then in return? Flip to Romans chapter 10. We preach. We preach the good news. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. It's not on the screen unless he just figured out a way to get it up there real quick. But you don't have to do that. Just follow Romans chapter 10, verses 1. And guys, I'm sorry. I know I'm not supposed to apologize. I get told by people that all the time, like, don't apologize, just do it. It's 12 o'clock. We're getting there. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them. That they may be saved. So he's saying, brother Christians, people like me who have trusted in the grace of Christ, who have been saved by the glories of Christ. My heart's desire, my prayer to God is for them, those that have not trusted in Christ, that they may be saved. Verse 2, for I bear witness, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They're trying to do it their own way, their own, their own works instead of trusting to God. They submit not to God's righteousness. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does, not, who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into the heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he goes on, he says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So by all means, preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, and it's the Holy Spirit within us that awakens that truth. And lastly, the Holy Spirit guides. Verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit guides us. He guides us in truth. He brings clarity to the Scripture. He helps us to understand. We can't bear it now, but he will declare it to you as he is indwelling you in order to protect you from false teachers. You need to read the word to understand the word, but you can't understand the word without the Holy Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit brings clarity. 
How many of you, I mean, I'm not even asked, this is hypothetical, not hypothetical, it's rhetorical. How many of you have read and read and read the scripture, but until you, and just didn't understand it, and then all of a sudden you come to faith in Christ and you see it in an old new light? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But the Holy Spirit guides us in truth also by speaking with authority as a part of the Godhead. He said he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you these things that are to come. He has authority because he is part of the Godhead. He is a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, ruling and reigning in righteousness. But he's also omniscient, knowing the future. Again, he will declare to you things that are to come. The Holy Spirit not only guides us in truth, but he also declares the truth of God. Verses 14 and 15, once again, he will glorify me. For he will take down what is, take what is mine, and he will declare to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit delivers the truth of God's word and of the truth of God to us. How? In the writing and the preserving of Scripture. We see Peter saying that, For we do not follow cleverly devised tales, for we may know unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins to unpack how the scripture was given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by men as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And he empowers us, the Holy Spirit empowers us then to declare the good news to the nations. Again, he's bearing witness through us. So what do we see? We see that the Holy Spirit allows us to glorify God by living in joyful obedience to the mission of God. Remember what I said. You try to strike out and do the work of God without being a saved Christian, without having the Holy Spirit indwelled in you. Crash and burn, it doesn't. It's a far greater mission than any of us could ever accomplish. But with God living in us, he can do unimaginable things. And you don't have to be Patrick and see Ireland come to revival. You can just shepherd your child. can just do the most small thing. If that's what God's calling you to do, you just faithfully serve Him in it. In closing, I want you to see this, that the Holy Spirit awakens us to the mission of God and He promises to guide us on that mission. Now, I am sure at this point, the disciples probably have many questions about what the mission will look like. How will it be played out? How are we to proceed? So Jesus promises them that the Holy Spirit will guide them. Something interesting about that word God, it's only found once outside of this in the New Testament. And it's in Revelation chapter 7. So I want you to turn there. Revelation chapter 7. We're getting close. Revelation chapter 7. And I'll be completely honest, I wanted to start in Revelation 1 and read all the way through 22. I'm glad I decided against that because we obviously wouldn't have time today. So you're going to get snippets, okay? Verse 17. For the Lamb... In the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Get that? He will guide them to springs of living water. You see, God saves us from the wretchedness of sin. He calls us to live on his mission. And then in the Holy Spirit, he gives us all we need to accomplish that mission. I can't tell you how many times we've quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. 
that God simply doesn't save us for us. He saves us by His grace for His glory. So that we can't boast about it. And He saves us because of verse 10. To be His workmanship. To do works that He has prepared for us to do beforehand. So that we may walk in them. And then he tells us that you can't do it on your own. So I'm going to go so that I can send the Spirit of God to come and live within you. And he will guide you to springs of living water. So not only will I save you and set you apart on the mission of God. I'm going to give you all the tools necessary. Primarily the Holy Spirit living within you. So that he may help guide you to the promised land. And we persevere because God is in us if we have truly rested and trusted in Him. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. What grace of God that He will send the Holy Spirit to live within us, that He will guide us as a good shepherd. Remember, listen to that. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. So he will guide us as a good shepherd on this mission. The mission that he has called us to. Whatever that is for you. And he will guide you until you reach the springs of living water. And maybe you're still quite unsure of this. So how do we be sure? Go over to Revelation 22. We are going to read this whole chapter because I want you to see. And this, this is the point where I got completely fired up and I want to just read the whole book. But I landed on Revelation 22. And just in case you don't know, this is the very last chapter of Scripture. And it's 10 after 12. So I'm going to read it. Probably fast. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. We could stop right there and have church. Bright as crystal. Flowing from where? The throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter into the city by its gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. But I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. 
I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And so I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes from the words of this book, of this, of the, this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And John closes, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. God has called us to an impossible mission. But he's given us everything we need, namely the Holy Spirit, to accomplish that mission. And then he has promised us further that the Holy Spirit will guide us to the springs of living water. And he closes out the inspired and errant, sufficient word of God with the promise that we will make it to the river of the water of life. Will you trust Jesus today? Maybe you've never given your life to the glorious Son of God. Do so today. Don't buy into the cultural lie. Just listen to the words of God. He's saying, come. Will you join him on this great Impossible, unimaginable mission. And will you press on to the very end and drink from the living water? Let's pray. Our Father, what graciousness you have shown to us. That we could be called sons and daughters of God. Today, Father... May we trust in Jesus. If we have never surrendered our lives for salvation, let us do that today. Boldly declaring that I desperately need Jesus to save me. And for those of us who have just kind of caught, been caught in the rut of life, may we get out of that rut and live courageously and zealously for the Son of God, declaring His good news to the ends of the earth. And may we rejoice in the gift of the Spirit as He leads us on this mission. Will you show us yourself today, Father?